Welcome back to Joker Men podcast about Bob Dylan, the artist, <laughs> Bob Dylan, the musician. Uh, and uh, today we have a special guest, uh, our second ever guest and our second Diodario guest. It's it's Brian Diodario from the Lemon Twigs. <laughs> From a very, you know, wide pool of uh, of people. Well, we're just cu- we're doing it alphabetically, starting with uh, <laughs> D. <laughs> well, it started with Dylan, but then you went backwards a little bit. My name's Evan, by the way, and then my co-host, as always, is Ian. Ian, still here, and uh, and today, as I've just said, we're blessed and honored to have Brian and. Uh, we wanted uh, Brian on because uh, we he's a he's a super fan. He has Bob Dylan posters in his room. Um, he has Bob Dylan uh, Tiger Beat magazines littering his floor. He he has the Bob Dylan makeup palette. Um, you know all of the the trendy Bob the Dylan white, the white face um, <laughs> starter kit. Yeah. And um we're going to talk today about a uh, live album. It'll be the second live album that we've covered. Mm-hmm. And uh it's called Hard Rain. And it's not nuclear rain, it's just hard rain. Well, the, the song itself w- from which Hard Rain uh that title comes from is not even featured on this uh, collection. No, on this record, um, that'd be "Hard Rain's Gonna Fall," um, a song which does seem, in my estimation, to imply nuclear war. Uh, but you know, could be could be anything really. Could just be rain. He said could. to at least on the radio at the, around the time that it came out, it's not nuclear rain. It's just hard rain. Did he really? That's a literal quote. What is what you just said? Yeah, he didn't say it quite <laughs> like that. But um, no, it's just hard rain. Which yeah. you know, well, I, I think that that's a respectable uh, correction for him to make. You know, because everybody wants to pigeonhole Bob Dylan, this precocious young man, and uh, you know, say that. Oh, what what did you mean by this? Oh, you surely meant this. And he goes, No, no, no. It's not actually about the thing you think it's much it's just it's completely literal yeah all all my songs are to be taken literally is is something he said around that time um this record though is uh in a way uh a live record a live album is is like a record that is literal in that it is it is the literal record of what is what it transpired (laughs) In this case, uh, a show that transpired in uh, Colorado, uh, Fort Collins. Is that right? I believe so. I read that it was two shows, but uh, if you watch that live footage that was from the special, um, I'm, uh, I don't know. I, uh, I'm pretty sure like. When I listen to it, I feel like you're a big girl now, maybe like the only one that isn't represented uh, on that. But I think I'm kind of wrong. But I think most of the songs are in that TV special in Fort Collins. And uh, let's set the stage. So this is 1976, uh, the second leg of the Rolling Thunder review tour. What, where do you stand on this? What do you think about this era? Um, some people think it's not as good as the first, more famous leg of the tour. Are you asking me, Evan? Yeah, yeah. And, and Ian, well, I want everyone to weigh in on this. What do we think of, of Bob's uh, place, his, his vibe during this time? Well, I think it's interesting because... There's such a crazy, insane, possessed, manic energy in those first shows, those initial Rolling Thunder shows, um, that this leg almost seems like it's more like he loves the band, they're having a great time, and uh, 
it's more like uh, it seems like more of a consistent show and it seems like more of a loose kind of thing i i mean like uh hard rain that song even though it's not on this album it's on the the special that's like their second reimagining of that song you know the version that's in the scorsese documentary that's like a rock and roll version and then on that special it's like this slow you know I don't have uh, journalistic words, but maybe you would say like swampy. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's like a slow, more bo- more boring version. Uh, so they're forced to re reimagine with the same people. So you, sometimes you get, I think, slightly less inspired versions. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think that this uh, that's a good way to put it is like re reimaginings. At this point. We are actually seeing for the first time on record a re reimagining of a Dylan song because when we talked about the first live album to come out, um, Ian and I spoke uh, on our episode about um, uh, Before the Flood. Interesting that both of these records, these two live records, have water theme titles. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe he's a water sign. Uh, I don't think he is a water sign. He's a Gemini. Is that a water sign? Mm. Is he a Gemini? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Two, two-faced Bob. <laughs> yeah. He's got the, the white face and he's got the <laughs> normal color face. Uh, yes. And, and in, For this, him, in this era, I we, see, we see the normal. I don't mean color. that any, I don't mean anything controversial by that. No, no, no. We'll get into the context later, but we'll, <laughs> um, <laughs> Where was I? I was saying that the the uh, the first rec- live record to come out called Before the Flood. That's the first time on a on a Bob Dylan release that we're hearing uh, live reimaginings of songs. Um, in a, in a way, I, I, I believe that's like the the first record where you've got old classics being wheeled out with a brand new coat of paint and the and and probably cocaine in their system, uh, possibly. And then, uh, what what happens as the as the '70s wear on? You got to do more cocaine. You got to do more and more. And then you have to redo the song another different way. And uh, so you get you get this uh, refractal uh, sort of uh, kaleidoscopic. You know, you get you get a different version of the song again. <laughs> I thought it was weird when I was watching the, uh, the special. There's so much Joan Baez and there is no Joan Baez on this record. And for me, you know, the version of I Pity the Poor Immigrant yeah. that they do together in that live concert is so cool, you know, and uh uh, I would have put that on the album, but I, that, that's just me. Yeah, I think that the choice of uh, tracks, track listing, the omission, what was omitted and what was selected on this is something we can definitely we'll get into. Um, Ian, wh- what's your uh, first impression of, of this record? And uh, maybe we can just start with that. Like, where, what do we think yeah. going in? Um, I don't know. It, uh, I, I, I must confess hard rain is not one that I've really ever put much time into, uh, in the past, uh, before we started this, this project here. I, I know that, or I have known that it is always kind of like, uh, looked down upon a little bit, you know, like it's sort of a second rate record as far as it goes in, in the, in the discography. And so I never really, you know, uh, gave it much of a, much of a look and, so I'm kind of coming at it with fresh ears. It's it's all right, you know. Um, I, I I know there's been a lot of love for Rolling Thunder in general over the last year or so or whatever since the Sorsese doc. Uh, rightfully so. Um, I've I've been spending probably more time I think listening to uh, the bootleg series, um, the the volume five other Rolling Thunder collection that they put out. That is from the first series of tours in the fall of '75, and that shit. You know, that kicks ass. But this one, 
You know, it, uh, yeah, I, I think there's some interesting reinterpretations here. A couple of my very favorite songs of all time. But the performances are, yeah, some, some of them are okay. Some of them are less okay. Not enough Joan Baez. It, uh, it feels more of just sort of like a professionalized version of what they were doing in the fall, which it seemed the, the preceding fall, like the original Rolling Thunder, which seemed so spontaneous and exciting and new. And this is like, this is different than what they were doing, what Dylan was doing with the band on Before the Flood, obviously, uh, in terms of the sound. But at the same time, it's like sort of similar in that like it's it, it seems like a they, they just kind of fell into a, a rhythm and a groove and were... Um, uh, uh, just sort of play acting or, or reacting uh, out, um, you know, what had happened spontaneously initially several months earlier. Yeah, the um, it's it's an interesting, maybe a peculiar choice that for the live record they decided we are going to use material from the second half, the second leg of, of the Rolling Thunder experiment, which. From what I understand was uh, pretty much understood even by the band to have lost some of its vital energy uh, by by that time. Um, not to mention that everybody had changed uh, their outfits. Um, whereas in the first <laughs> Rolling Thunder, the more iconic Rolling Thunder imagery is a lot of Western wear and of course, the white face paint makeup, a lot of scarves, and then at, at some point, um, by the time we we reach hard rain here in '76, they just ditched the hats and they just added more scarves. They on their rider, they said no hats, no more hats, but double the amount of scarves. And uh, so what we see here is kind of a. I don't know uh, how it's it's vaguely middle feels a little Eastern, middle Eastern or like gypsy like or apparently you're not supposed to say gypsy anymore uh, the Roma, Roma. people um, yes in any case following in the footsteps of uh, one more cup of coffee on uh, on desire that initial sort of uh, Islamic tint to feels the, like uh, it wouldn't sound. fly these days no no i don't think yeah, it would definitely not. um but uh very little does fly these days it's <laughs> a good point um, i am hard pressed every day uh it feels like more and more things uh do not fly um but uh do these songs fly and how far do they fly how beautifully how clumsily do they fly and uh that's what's on our plate, on our agenda today. And that means that we have to pick up our long-playing record and take the uh, take the disc out and put it on the tray. And I think I have one here. Do you have one? I do think so, but I, I would. Ian, do you have one? I, I don't have one, unfortunately. Well, I'm glad My one of us has physical one. collection drops off a little bit after uh, Blood on the Tracks. I think I've got Desire uh, and then infidels and then i don't think anything until shadows of the night well yeah mo- most of my collection is right here right in the heart evan's pointing at his heart for for those of you who aren't watching us live which is anyone who's listening to this yeah. i don't need triplicate because bob dylan posted all these nice videos on his youtube page of the actual record playing Whoa! I don't oh. know if you guys caught that. <laughs> I didn't know the actual, that was like, like wax that, disc. Yeah, that was like the music video. <laughs> oh, I, I love I, that. And you know, you hear a little crackle at the beginning, and I wonder if it really is rip. I bet it would be, but or if someone had to, uh, you know, some young young man had to drag some um, some audio of uh, of. Uh, oh, you don't think Bob did sound. that himself? <laughs> I don't think so. You don't, I don't think know. he edits his own videos on Final Cut Pro? I mean, he doesn't even write his own songs these days. He has to borrow them. Not true. I'm just joking. I listen to you guys' uh, Rough and Rowdy Oh, so you, that's, that's where you heard about uh, Bob Dylan releasing a new record. You heard, you <laughs> yeah, this is where that. I get all my Bob Dylan news. Yeah, well, that's really... I, try, I like to get it chronologically. Yeah, yeah. So you have to wait, you know, a while before. We... But you guys broke the mold on with that one. Yeah, we um, did because it's a special occasion. Um, you know, whenever Bob makes a release, 
we have to speak about it. Uh, we have that was my favorite episode so far, oh, except for this one, very nice. which is getting off to a great start. <laughs> I think the, smashing. Success. I think this one's doing pretty good. I don't know. I can't be. I'm not. You're more a neutral party here, really. We are rolling thunder reviewing right now. Oh boy, we, he's we're a natural. Rolling, we're roller. Uh, wait, rolling thunder reviewing. Yes, you know we're reviewing the album. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, review, I guess you like got, you, review. You probably well, got that the first time I said it. I did, but for the listeners at home, uh, review when when we talk about rolling thunder review. R-E-V-U-E. And I suppose, uh, I mean, everybody should know a little bit about this, but we can just, Brian, what is the Rolling Thunder review? Can you just sum it up in like a few words? Okay. Well, it was a bit of, it was a review in the old sense of a review. Uh, oh, that's a, that's just clumsy bullshit. No, 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 you're doing. <laughs> that's what he said in the movie. Oh, oh, yes. I wouldn't say it was a uh, traditional review, but it was in the uh, traditional um, form of, uh, of a review. That's all clumsy bullshit. You know, I'm trying to get to the to the, to the core thing, to the core of what this Rolling Thunder thing is all about. And I don't have a clue because it's not, it's about nothing. It's, a, it's just something that happened 40 years ago. That's, and that's the truth of it. Why don't we go down that road? Okay, we can. <laughs> let's go. All right, let's go. I don't remember a thing about Rolling Thunder. <laughs> okay. I mean, it, it happened so long ago, I wasn't even born. You know? Uh, uh, so what do you want to know? You know, in a lot of ways, I think this, this, well, two things. And this, this could be said at any point because it's not related to any direct song. Mm-hmm. One thing is you have to keep in mind with this album, it just occurred to me while we were talking, he knew that he wanted to make a movie. He knew he wanted to make Ronaldo and Clara. That's and right. he knew that they had dynamite footage of ISIS and Hard Rain mm-hmm. that I think is in that movie uh, and a bunch of other songs that didn't make it on this album. So it's kind of like, you know, it's he probably, you know, he probably was saving those sorts of cuts yeah. for the movie. He probably thought that everybody was going to see this movie, not just like, uh, you know, maybe 100 people in 1977. <laughs> Which is what really then, happened. <laughs> yeah. And then and then everybody in 2019. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in, in, in a lot of ways, I suppose that the. Uh, Rolling Thunder documentary, uh, really it is, it's not quite a documentary. It is actually includes many fictionalized elements. So, um, it, it is kind of like the, the late incoming goal of, of what Ronaldo and Clara maybe was intended to be perhaps, uh, sort of Scorsese picking up the slack, um, Several years later, uh, in 2019. <laughs> a few years later. Uh, and uh, now everybody sees this thing. And it's interesting that uh, Scorsese in- decided to add these fictionalized elements even to that project. Uh, I suppose a good way to think about the Rolling Thunder review uh, in general is that it's a pseudo-theatrical uh, tour uh, performance um, where I think just shy of performance art, but uh, has elements of that floating around. There's there's kind of costumes that aren't quite costumes. Uh, this attitude to the music that draws from eclectic and sort of ex- slightly exotic sources, and uh, the whole thing has this carnival esque atmosphere. Um, which at, at its best is a uh, white hot and uh, very nice to to see and at its worst is just kind of peculiar and uh, uh I, I suppose that's that's all i have to say about that for now but um shall we one thing oh, please one one thing i just think that it's uh significant to note about Rolling Thunder and like this version of Rolling Thunder from Hard Rain and then the the original Rolling Thunder is like the original one they were 
I think it mostly took place up in like New England and stuff. And they were up in like dri- driving around in a bus and they would pop up in these towns and just like an, like a flyer a show like that day, basically. And then, uh, and then, and then go and play it that night. It was sort of like an unannounced, like surprise thing in these little like theaters and, and like, you know, cutesy, very small venues that Bob could have sold out many times over, uh, you know, if, if it had been a normally promoted concert, but this, this second hard rain, right. It was recorded in stadiums right. uh, down in Colorado. And then the other one that some of the cuts were cut from, uh, was from Fort yeah, Fort Worth in Texas. So just like the, just like the environment in which it's taking place, I think, uh, or a live show obviously has a very in- great impact on what the sound is going to be like and what the energy is going to be like in the room. And I think you can kind of tell that these are stadium shows instead of like the original kind of fire and brimstone shit that you got with the, uh, the first version. Yeah. The first tour, the first leg of the tour was like boutique touring. It was like a very special and self-consciously trying to create this special atmosphere, which, uh, surprise when it's Bob Dylan, like suddenly appearing in all this, uh, exotic regalia at your local smallish theater, the, uh, the energy is electric. And then when, it, when everyone's heard about that and then Bob Dylan appears at your local massive <laughs> outdoor arena, um, the energy is dispersed uh, sweat, uh, slightly, um, but l- let us begin uh, with with the first track on side A, which starts with Bob Dylan, of all people. The probably the, at this point in his career, you would expect to hear him start this song off with this with this bluesy riff. You'd probably expect to hear about anybody else on that stage other than him start with that electric guitar riff. You know what I mean? Am I making any sense? Say more. uh, Up to this point, you can't hear his guitar on any live recording. You hear You you can barely hear the, you know, any of his rhythm playing other than when he's uh, acoustically playing. And on this album, you can hear his guitar all over it. You know, for, for better and for worse. Yes. It is It is a very guitar-forward record. Was that him, like, do we know, was that him actually playing the guitar, like that, that blues lick on Maggie's Farm and stuff? Or was that, because I know T-Bone Burnett was in the band and playing on it, too. And, um, oh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia right now, actually. Mick Ronson uh, apparently had the guitar on Maggie's Farm. Well, the, the, on, the, on the video, you can hear him a lot. And I don't know if... Uh, it's him in the very beginning. I believe that it is from my memory. Um, but yeah, there's ton, tons of other people playing, but I, I find that he's the most audible on this album than like any other one. Really? The first track, we should say what it is, is Maggie's farm. <laughs> oh, sorry. I forgot. I, I forgot that you hadn't said, but, uh, Yes, all of those things are, are true of it. It is a very, uh, it's a, it's a different it's a different take on Maggie's Farm, and it begins with that uh, bluesy blues riff. Um, what else do we have to say about this version? Sort of a weird one, I gotta say. It definitely uh, an interesting rearrangement of Maggie's farm sort of sets the tempo for what's about to follow. Tempo. Tempo is something actually I wanted to mention because this is the first time on this record, which you, where you hear the sort of trademark like trick that he and the band are doing, which is sort of like randomly, not (laughs) randomly. I guess there's some like method to it. uh, I guess at the end of each verse, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Slowing down, (laughs) to a crawl and then speeding back up like uh and doing these weird extended uh he'll he'll kind of i don't i i don't know how to say it's almost like he talks it but he's still fully singing he trails Um, off he he definitely trails off at the end oh Yeah, and then just crashing back (laughs) into it, like going from 60 to zero to 60 again. 
That's the classic hard rain chorus. It's that, that, that classic hard, hard that, rain chorus sound. Yeah, that hard rain sound. And I love that uh, that disco beat that is like repurposed so that it sounds more like some sort of like Latin thing or something. But it's like on There's, so many of the songs. Yeah, I think even the last iteration of the band, there was uh, the same people, but the first leg, uh, they were doing that beat a lot. And uh, it's so identifiable as this this group. I do think the percussion on this record is one of the one of the strongest aspects of it. Maggie's form also sounds like like it almost sounds like there's someone playing bongos on the track, which may or may not actually be true. But like sounds like there's bongos and an actual drum kit and someone's got a cowbell or something. It's very it's very a lot of interesting tones from the percussion side of things. And then that rhythm is uh, is is the classic hard rain rhythm yeah whether or not there are bongos the vibe of this record and of this band playing is like the attitude of being like throw some bongos on it it's yeah. a, it's like somebody <laughs> saying like yeah uh put some bongos you got you got a tambourine and you have any shakers or maracas uh it, there's a lot of that going on i think there's points when joan Baez is actually just uh, shaking maracas and stuff um, everybody is wearing uh, some kind of cloth head covering with a <laughs> string around it, um, like a Lawrence of Arabia type of thing. Bob has really long, curly, uh, scraggly hair and fa- facial hair. Um, and everybody- is this the first? Is this the first in-person facial hair? period of bob dylan it uh whew. you well, know i guess oh no 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 uh, uh yes isle of white isle of yeah, white is hair. the first uh facial mm. hair performance uh, live beard the beginning um, of the, the facial hair era yeah uh bob experimenting with his his facial hair with his beard this might be a good time just to to touch on the cover, like the cover, very briefly. And I want to like talk about the cover every every now and then. Yeah, it's the cover, very, very interesting picture. Zero Bob. facial. Doesn't, doesn't really look like him to me. No, no, this is one of those pictures that it does not really like. Yeah, no, it doesn't really look like any other picture of Bob Dylan, um, and it does not. Look he looks like more like he, a beautiful woman. Yeah, it almost looks like he's wearing like eyeshadow or something. To me, he looks like uh, Janice Soprano. Um, <laughs> I see that. <laughs> and uh, he's got eyeshadow. He has. He's very clean shaven. Um, yeah, it it looks like it would be like the record cover for like a like a a, a woman who's a rabbi in like the in the seventies and who has like a. Uh, a folk like an acoustic folk record uh but it's not it's actually bob dylan secretly uh, this record would you know not tell you by its cover but he has a beard during this this is the sound of a man <laughs> with a beard <laughs> he didn't want to let on but we all know that he had a beard i mean it was televised and everything and uh yeah so tell me more about the the fact that it was televised i uh didn't even know that actually uh me yeah i don't really i don't really know any backstory about that well i know that it was a tv special uh it seems like it was um either under viewed or under received or or not yeah not very well received i know Mm. that there was a uh i read a rolling stone review of the album that was negative and mentioned the uh the special in like a you know people were disappointed in it kind of way um some things never change <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah it's a different set list it's a different uh, uh i think we were talking i don't know if we were on if we were recording when we said that there was like so much joan Baez on it and you know they're they're in that special they're so close to each other to the mic oh, and yeah. it's like it, it feels like it's more bob getting like super super close um you know and and they definitely bump noses oh, at chemistry. some point yeah there's it's it's hot uh <laughs> you know they look like they're about to um 
like like they're running into each other at at, at Mecca, you know. Just, <laughs> they, they both look kind of uh, Muslim. Uh, One must wonder who, if Bob Dylan had minty fresh breath or not. Well, it doesn't look like he would <laughs> at this point. <laughs> okay. At this point, uh, I, I don't. I I've never even thought yeah. about what Bob Dylan's breath smells like. I always think about that when I'm watching that because I just kind of feel for Joan Baez in that in that uh, moment. I imagine uh, it, it his breath smells like uh, Heaven Store whiskey, the branded <laughs> whiskey. Uh, I had a friend who interviewed Bob for his whiskey. The, or my dad's friend has a whiskey magazine. Oh my god! He was told. He was told explicitly, no questions about music. This is great. <laughs> I, you know, I, all questions about whiskey. I, I, uh, he was like, "What a fucking!" I, I I'm sure he the, was disappointed. The Bob Dylan whiskey, and I drank it. Me too. Do you like it? Yeah, I like. I it mean, a lot. it's whiskey, so I don't think it tastes very good, personally. Oh well, you. Thank God they didn't send you to ask the questions. <laughs> I usually put more Coca-Cola than whiskey, but <laughs> I think talking it's, to it's, Bob, like I, I put Coca-Cola in uh, your, uh, in your whiskey uh, and I think it really does. It does. The trick. It, it improves. It improves the taste yeah. because whiskey taste, as you and I both know, cause we've tried it tastes so bad. Yeah. I like it. I, I enjoy it. It's very high ABV whiskey. It will, uh, it really, what does that mean? It's high in alcohol. It's got that high oh. percentage, uh, pretty assertive stuff. Um, so y- I wonder if there's a way to like trick Bob into uh, talking about music during that interview. Just be like, uh, so the tasting notes on this, the notes, that's kind of like music, isn't it? <laughs> Would have been a good What's idea. Your- to- Sorry. No, I... No. What's your favorite song to drink whiskey to, Bob? <laughs> and then he's just That's like, get out, get up, go. It would have been a good idea to ask him where the where the name came from, because then, <laughs> then you put him you put him in a catch twenty two. Yeah, I uh, and then he gets mad. He thinks you're you know putting him on the spot that you're joking him, and you just say, no, 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 Bob. I I only care about whiskey. I I just I didn't know. I didn't know. That I was asking about music. I know <laughs> I, I wanted to speak to Bob Dylan, the whiskey maker, not Bob Dylan, the musician. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here for the whiskey. I don't I don't care who what you did before you got into this. I'll probably buy it again. Honestly, did you drink the whole bottle? I did. Yeah. Not all at once. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> it was like fifty dollars. It's, uh, it, it's when expensive. I bought it. Yeah. I mean, you know, and if and a Coca Cola is one dollar for one, right? So fifty one dollars, you 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 know, you get to mix them both. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for uh, no, no. That's great back, information. Bringing um, Coca Cola back up. So um, that's Maggie's farm. Yeah, and then <laughs> we've got one too many mornings, um, which is an old song, and I think it's the first time that we will be speaking of it on the on this program, and, unless we kind of glazed over it some other time. Maybe uh, when you we'll, talked about Nashville Skyline, talk, I don't know. He did record it with uh, Johnny, right? Yeah, there's like a there's like a demo cut of it that is not particularly high in fidelity or effort on their part, but it is fun to hear Bob and Johnny singing it together. What do you, what do you guys think of this song? It's one that I have to confess I've never really spent much time listening to in any iteration. It seems like he really likes it, you know, because yeah. I I guess I was looking at the Bob Dylan website because I was curious because I was like I've heard this song in so many different ways, particularly the the way that I liked it the most was when I heard it on the uh 1966 like bootleg series or whatever mm-hmm. where he does it and it's like the one song that they do that like has like harmonies on like rick danko comes in and does like a behind or something like that there's like a high harmony and it's so weird uh it comes out of nowhere um but 
it's yeah it's kind of like it's it never really struck a huge chord with me uh on times they are changing um but it's it's but he, yeah it's yeah. all the way from back way back then it, it it's a from 1964 Two. is that right yeah yeah right i don't know Times they are changing, I think, is 64. Okay, you know what? It's actually been played live less times than I thought. Um, only 237 times. And it was last played July 21st, 2005. First played live in 66, February 26th. Um, so, I, for whatever reason, I thought this one might be like one of his old workhorse songs, but that's a modest amount. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, when there's a song that isn't a hit, isn't off a like, you know, that there are tons of super famous songs on on times they are changing. Uh, but he's played it lots and lots of years. You know, he played it throughout the 80s and he played it in the 60s. And then again, it, during this period, 76 he must it must just do something for him yeah even though it's it's i think fair to say an album cut this is a a deep cut like no casual bob fan knows this song i would venture to say probably not on the greatest hits records necessarily but i think it is like a semi well-known song not quite up there with the uh you know blown in the wind or anything like that but you know, maybe on the level of like ramona or something like that um how do i wonder how he like decides what the set list is going to be for these tours if he like sits down before the tour and just like kind of picks through his old records and decides like these 40 songs i'm gonna i'm gonna choose from or if he has like if he just spur of the moment that day that night decides like oh it, it's uh it's one too many mornings tonight I would guess spur of the moment. Uh, yeah, I would guess somewhere in between, but leaning more toward the uh, the spontaneous. Uh, and I think that sometimes you can hear that uh, in his with his band. Like right. maybe they haven't practiced it that many times. Um, I think that's sort of in in the modern day the the current iteration of the never ending tour as it's existed for the last like two decades anyway it seems like bob is trying to always have just the most flexible highly honed crack team of players who can bend to every whim that he's gonna like they they can just adapt to whatever he throws at them and uh maybe it took him a while to gather that uh avengers like team uh (laughs) Something that my friend um, uh, Jeffrey told me uh, from a book that he read, a Bob book, was that after this tour, um, in the 1978 tour, he tried to get as many Rolling Thunder people as he could Mm. um, on that tour, but certain members didn't want to do it. Like, and uh, he had, like, I think David Mansfield, the mandolin... um, uh, slide uh, pedal steel player uh, who Allen Ginsberg uh, liked a lot according to the uh, doc uh, and he had Rob Stoner the bass player arranger and then I think I don't think he had Mick Ronson and I don't think he had the guy with the mustache who does all the high parts for the acoustic guitar but he, he added a bunch of ladies uh, yes on, on that but show. I I thought that was pretty you know telling I mean how does anybody get a better gig than oh, yeah, Bob yeah. Dylan. That, some and of these players just didn't want to, they didn't want to take the ride. It was maybe a little rough. But that shows that he knew that there was something very special about this band and that he, yeah. pro- I mean, you know, in wanting to extend the tour a lot, he, he wanted to keep playing with them. And, and two years later, or I guess, yeah, two years later, right? Uh, he, he still wanted to play with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read a little bit about Street Legal the other day. We'll probably get a chance to talk about this more in the next episode. But he, he apparently brought a lot of the Rolling Thunder people back, as many as he could at least, uh, out to Los Angeles to record Street Legal with him because he was having a really hard time finding a new band to record with. 
And that was when like his, his marriage with Sarah was actually finally falling apart. And he was involved in like a custody battle with her. And like she accused him of domestic abuse and stuff. Seems like very bad vibes. Uh, but apparently he was just a huge piece of shit during the entire recording sessions of Street Legal uh, and ended up like scaring off several people that he brought out from Rolling Thunder to record with him. And they were just like, fuck this. Oh, uh, wow. Well, Street Legal, everybody. Uh, you know, mm. a, a troubled record uh, in more ways than one, but an interesting one. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that one. But yeah. uh, it's funny, like, you know, and this album, everybody talks about or at least in this Rolling Stone interview how sonically it doesn't sound very good i mean it sounds like it's it's it sounds you know more along the lines of like a a basement tapes or you know some bootleg than uh other live records of the time that are like like obviously people had done so many live records and they had really gotten their shit together as far as recording huge bands in huge places but i mean bob dylan the number one artist of all time couldn't get uh you know a decent uh sound uh crew together for this or street legal i guess as he there were he talked about how the that album didn't sound the way it should because they were recording in someone's mobile studio right yeah i have no idea what bob dylan thinks an album should sound like though that yeah like, because there's i've read certain things like that he does not like the way that uh, "Time Out of Mind" sounds, for example. Right, yeah, he thinks Daniel like, Lanois production is like too heavy or something which like that. I, I can I can sort of see that, but also like compared to what? Like, I mean, he I've heard I've seen things where it's like he loves the sound of like maybe I heard it on you guys' podcast of like blood on the uh, no blonde on blonde. And how he he always talks about like studios in the '60s, how you'll never get a sound like that again. Working with more hmm. tracks, working on a four-track machine, you know. But it's like you know he's Bob Dylan. I mean, he could he could design a studio yeah. so but specific. No, he couldn't but design no, yeah. a studio because Bob Dylan. He is couldn't, not that but he could get of, somebody to. Maybe, but I feel like he would then just find something wrong with it. He's yeah. definitely he's grown into more of a studio nut in his old age. He's he gives himself a credit on on all these records now produced by Jack Frost, Jack Frost which is yeah, which is, yeah, which is his like alter ego or, or his pin name for, for studio production. And like the cover records and then Rough and Runny Ways obviously sound. I mean, like, I think impeccable. they're some of the best sounding records he's ever done. So yeah. I, I think maybe, he maybe I think now. he finally figured it out. Yeah, I only say that he wouldn't uh, design his own studio. I I mean I don't really know if that's true or not. It just seems like something that would be such a project and undertaking that he would rather just uh, ride on his motorcycle. Yeah, he would rather be riding on a motorcycle. <laughs> but I know nothing about the man's personal, uh, what he's like or anything like that. And shame on anyone who pretends to. Uh, this podcast is not about uh, acting like we're friends with Bob Dylan and acting like we know anything about what it's like to be his best friend his friend a close friend i haven't talked to him in a really long time like two or three years so <laughs> yeah i don't even i can't pretend to know what's going on in that head in oh, that curly oh, head bobby curly d head. people who feel so comfortable calling him bobby d bobby! Grinds that's my the gears. funniest thing <laughs> the funniest thing is in that like 1966 uh bootleg where everybody hates him mm -hmm. is like when people are yelling Bobby! Yeah. Bobby like they're ang they're angrily calling him a you know a, a nickname yeah I mean that is a, it is a sign it's a sign of disrespect calling yeah. Bobby yeah um so that that's what uh that's my little my opinion my one of my little opinions but something that's not my opinion is is what the next track is and uh the next track is called Stuck Inside of Mobile. Yeah, and that's just a fact. Um, Stuck Inside of Mobile with the Memphis Blues again. Really emphasizing again because he's playing it again. And every time he plays this, I've, it's like it's happened again. We're stuck inside of Mobile with he the Memphis Blues. He never seems 
He never again. seems to get out of Mobile. He's, yeah, he's always just back there once again. You think he would learn to just, you know, next time he gets the Memphis Blues, not go back to Mobile. So it's a great uh, asset to the song in terms of uh, replayability and uh, in reinterpretation because every time he does it, it goes, oh, mama, are we really yeah. playing this again? And then they do. Um, this this version is a... I don't think it has anything like super weird about it. Am I wrong? Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty faithful, I think, to the the original, uh, you know, blonde on blonde sound, which makes sense because I think it like it's it, it is more suited for this kind of performance more so than one too many mornings or something like that. Um, yes. Great, great bla- uh, blaze. Great bass playing. Uh, and there's a great bass on uh, a couple of the songs, but uh, this one in particular. But yeah, I mean, it's a pretty faithful rendition, at least as far as the tracks, the reinterpretations on this record go. Yeah. Definitely uh, one of the more. This definitely makes it feel like the part where they extend Memphis Blues again! It's like. That seems so random. Yes. Yeah, okay, time. I was wrong. There is, they do also do that, like, time-bending extendo trick with, like, the fills, yeah. Um, yeah, but, I mean, that, the rest of the song, totally the same, and then just they had to get that one in there. But This is uh, a, from a also, different show, also. Um, oh, really? Yeah, so uh, where the first two tracks were from uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. This one is from the Tarrant County Convention Center uh, in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Tarrant right. County Convention Center Arena. So we got Texas and Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's not inside of Mobile or Memphis. Um, I, there's also like, you know, he changes the chords a little, like a tiny bit. He takes away one of the chords and makes the chords sort of more simple on this one. Another just seemingly like just, just to make something different and in a totally meaningless way. Um, but I mean, I love it. I love it. I, I, I love, uh, he just kind of simplifies the song a little bit, uh, I guess just for himself. Takes away some of the tension, I think, though, in that, oh, mama. Yeah, it's a, it's a highlight. I think the crowd was probably happy with it. Rocks, yeah, kinda, rocks I, pretty hard. What is uh, this song? How many times has he uh, played this song? I just pulled it up 760 something. This is one of oh, okay. this is one of the the old uh, old live old faithfuls. It's an old chestnut. Yeah. Evan, my favorite performance is the one that I sent you from the 2000s. Oh, yes. Yes. It would be great if we could play a portion of it. I should just I, just I, I will I'll, I'll uh, pipe it in. Just the part where it's just going doing the same two organ chords. Yes. <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> favorite late era bob evolutions is like his his prowess as basically an avant-garde pianist like (laughs) at at times it seems like he's just experimenting 
like I would love to just hear his soundboard isolated of just him and the piano sometimes because yeah. some of the stuff he does is uh, eccentric. It's somewhere in between avant-garde and just like like trolling kind. Or, or yeah, like outsider. I hate outsider music. I mean, in that clip, he's just he's playing so much to the audience that, you know, it's almost like he's saying to you, I wonder if you can guess how many times I'll play these two chords. Yes, it's a little. And the answer is, is no, no, (laughs) you could never guess how many times he'll play those two chords. But we're off track. I I took us off track. No, no, no. That's fine. uh, Because the next one is. uh, so we've got oh mama and then we have oh sister uh, on this one. So we're getting the whole family involved. Um, oh sister this was is from after the last record Desire. But it is from Desire. This is after uh, the brother and the ma and pa from Maggie's farm. Also, just right. on the note of the family. Yes, yeah, we've got the entire uh, family unit. Although. In Maggie's farm, I I always kind of wonder. It's it sounds like he's, you know, he has no relation to that family. Um, they're they're like a. I I kind of think of the family in Maggie's farm as like the, the mutants and like the hills have eyes. Like he's somehow the or the family from or family uh, Texas, Texas, Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw. Massacre, yeah. yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, more poetic. I digress. Uh, oh, sister, what what is there to say about this song? It's, um, I think that at, at the beginning of this track, you have some people really shouting it from the crowd, like for him to play Lay Lady Lay. Lay Lady Lay. Somebody, somebody goes, Lay yeah. Lady Lay! And uh, mm-hmm. nobody seems that excited that he does Oh, sister. Yeah, this is a pretty, pretty uh, uninspiring take of of O Sister, I think. Which O Sister itself is like, uh, I, I think it works in the context of Desire, but it's not, not one of the all time uh, classics for me necessarily. And this one is just sort of like, you know, just taking up some space on the record. One of my favorite parts of O Sister on the record is the harmonies with Emmy Lou Harris, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, which. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned this on the... I didn't hear the uh, Desire episode yet, but uh seems like he, he must have been a big Graham Parsons fan, right? I mean, you know, he, he said that he liked uh, Flying Burrito Brothers, and then he gets Emmylou Harris, who had just appeared on those... Uh, but maybe she was a big solo artist. No, that that, that sounds know. totally plausible. I would never have made that connection, but that's why we have uh, Brian on, because you're like a little... Uh, a big, actually, encyclopedia of uh, exactly that type of thing. Well, those two people, maybe. But the, the uh, Flying Burrito Brothers scholar. Uh, maybe I've never been tested. There's the, there haven't <laughs> been any podcasts for me to go on to test my knowledge. But um, but oh, what I was going to say about this is just that it's interesting because you know he does all these duets with Joan Baez on the album, and then this one. Which it seems like whenever he's doing a song from Desire that he did as a duet with Emmy Lou Harris, he instead uses the guy with the mustache uh, with the acoustic guitar to harmonize with him. Because hmm. one more cup of coffee, I think he also uses this guy uh, with the mustache, and on this one too. So he, That's ju- just a- he doesn't use Joan on this one. He doesn't yeah. use the female voice, which, uh, which is interesting. And I wonder uh, what that, why he would, why not, why not have uh, Joan Baez take the Emmy Lou uh, spot? Yeah, I mean, I think there are certain Curious. songs where, like, she is singing with the whole group, so it's not like they necessarily just had their section of the show and then she was off. I mean, she's she's around. I think she's hanging out. I think she, I, I guess I don't know how it worked on the second leg of the tour, but I think on the first leg, she, she almost occupied the same kind of role that like Dan Behar does in new pornographer shows, at least when he was still playing with him, where he would just like, uh, it wouldn't even be on stage for most uh. of the set. And then like 
now is the Joan Baez section. And then she would come out and play four songs or something, a couple on her own, do out with Bob for a couple. And then she would just be, be off again. And then maybe come back at the end for like the whole reprise with the whole group. But she was sort of Mm -hmm. floating in and out of the, uh, of the sets. Like in a movie, it would say, and, and then that actor's name. Right. Like the one that gets the, and with, with, or with, yes. The one that goes with Joan Baez. I, uh, I, I didn't want to steal an IPA without finding who, uh, who bought them in this apartment. But, That's that roommate lifestyle. But I've got a, I, I got a high life from the roommate who I know got the high lives and I'll get him back, you know, Miller time. That's right. Back in the high life again. Do you like that song? I don't know that song. Back in the high life again? Yeah. It's pretty good. Who's it by? I forget. But Warren Zevon covers it. Hmm. I'm just trying to open it. You happy to be back in New York? Yeah, yeah, it's fine, you know. Every, yeah, every, nice. you know, every place is equally great right now. Equally good. <laughs> the Steve Winwood song. Interesting. What's another Steve Winwood tr- number? What, what, what else do I know? I, I don't know that I uh, have much knowledge of the Steve Winwood oeuvre myself. Brian might. Uh, he was that he was that pedophile that put that little girl on naked on that cover. <laughs> oh, that whole band of pedophile pedos. And we're, we're, we're going to take them down. Is this real? Q, Q is going to take all those Eric Clapton, all the rest of them down. <laughs> um, no, I thought Steve Winwood was in blind faith. Steve, uh, he was in Wynn. blind faith. Yeah, yeah. No, they they put a naked like little girl on a cover of one of their albums. Oh wow, yeah. I'm and it was this very right now. I've never even very controversial. Heard of this well, is, all right. Uh, Wait, this, this means some... I have to include uh, me talking about drinking a, a Miller High Life. <laughs> <laughs> these are these are you know these are the kind of people that you know Q is going to take take out. You know, yeah, Eric some real and... John Podesta Pizzagate shit. Here. <laughs> the, this you're. <laughs> Cracking this the case won't. wide open, just like Bert, I'm cracking open this Miller High Life. Well, they're hiding in plain sight. You know, they put it on their cover. She they was like a, to brag. She was 11. Wow. I'm anyway. Anyway, I'm don't going to search this. Don't include this in the podcast because then you'll get a bunch of you know conspiracy theorists and and. Uh, well, I'll you know maybe we'll include it and maybe not. Uh, where were we? We were about to move along to the last song of Side A, The Great Lay, Lady Lay, with that that signature hard rain chorus sound. Lay, lady, lay. This is the song that if you want to drive you, your parents completely crazy, if they're you know, in traffic or, you know, and you're playing music in the car, put this song on, they will crash the car. <laughs> I thought you meant if you want to drive them crazy, like they're having a love, they have a loveless marriage and you want to spice it up for them. <laughs> no, you, play uh, the Nashville skyline version. If you want to do that. Yeah. That's a good point. That is a little, I sexier. do like, yeah, no, I th- love this. This song is, uh, a totally different feel. If this is supposed to be like a, a, a sexy number, like the kind of sex that is being had in you know the original versus what's happening here is, uh, I guess the thing I wanted to bring up was how, how there's a tonal change from the original here that there are some lyric differences, which are actually like a little more serious, a little less dumb uh, and sappy. Um, I think he, it's like, I, I don't have them directly on hand, but, um, I've got them. You have the, the alternate lyric. 
alternate lyrics. Yeah, it's forget this dance. Let's go upstairs. Let's take a chance. Who really cares? Why don't you know you got nothing to prove? It's all in your eyes and the way that you move. Okay, so that's just more straight up like let's fuck. But yeah. that, but then the uh, the the bridge is where it becomes like looking deeply in your eyes and then saying uh, you can lose the love in your life. Never forget that. You can have love. You can have love, but you might lose it. Why run any longer when you're running in place? You can have the truth, but you've got to choose it. That's what it was. He he gets rid of the cake and eat it too. Right. And uh, he says, you've got to choose the truth and you, you could lose the love. So like, that's, uh, that seems sub-tweet. way more. Yeah, it's a, it is a sub tweet. Um, it's talking about the old ball and chain. Where the the chain is rusting and uh, <laughs> about to break. <laughs> yep, that's uh, that is it. I I like I really like this version as well. Yeah, I mean I love how crazy and relentless it is. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I really I like the lyric change. I think it's one of the more successful like lyric variations that he does, um, where. There is kind of an interesting. Uh, he takes what I think was before a little bit of a, a really harmless sort of borderline um, tepid lyric with the "you can have your cake and eat it too," and he he replaces it with something a little bit more hard hitting and uh, mature. The whole song. This song is very mature. You could say that. I think it's funny because. Uh, uh, yeah, like it, it, the Nashville Skyline version, it seems like he has some sort of level of domestic tranquility uh, reflected throughout all of those lyrics. Mm-hmm. And it's just great him kind of, you know, twisting this song in, in sort of a slight way, but also really changing the energy of it to fit his to, assuming uh, to fit his 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 current uh, state of mind, maybe. Yeah, I mean. Absolutely. I think if we're being realists about it. Hey, it's Michael. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I wasn't. Uh, I had a different window open. I couldn't even. I wasn't even looking. Oh, you didn't even see any of that? I can hear him. Yeah. No, no. Was was something funny happening? Michael I was just going to stick his tongue out. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and there's nothing funny. It's than okay. That. That's, <laughs> that's uh, not even funny to me. So. That's one of the funniest <laughs> things you could possibly do. Yeah, well. Well, because people usually put their tongue in their mouth. Which, do it again. Let me see. That is hilarious. It's pretty yeah. funny. Where are you? Uh, I'm in my apartment in Brooklyn. It's my room. We're talking about Bob Dylan. <laughs> you hear about this guy? You hear about this? That's nice. Well, Hard I was going to throw you off for that long, but we were listening to Hard Rain. Yeah, yeah, no, that's what we're talking about. To because he was preparing. Do you want? Would you like to say anything about the album? Yeah, no, but it sounded really good. All right, great. I mean, I, I don't. Evan, have you ever had a like a concentrated period of um, listening to this album, like uh, just naturally? I have. No, no, I have. Me too. Weirdly, actually, I've always sort of avoided it for some reason. Yeah, I, it's I don't. So good. It's there's something really really good about it i mean i i, I, th- I think i think yeah. that this one this song that we were just talking about this version of lay lady lay this is what you you come for this is what you um what what this record can offer it has everything actually this this next track is really like you know if you're gonna go by uh well uh youtube comments and things like that uh or even this rolling stone review that i mentioned before nobody denies the success of Shelter from the Storm, this version. Well, then, listener, you better stay tuned because uh, next episode we're going to be digging deep into side B, uh, of which is kind of the better side, I think, of Hard Rain. And uh, you know, very timely, actually, because it's been raining a lot and there's storms and catastrophic damage um, happening all over this country. So the hard rain is 
literally falling right now. Yeah, it is. Um, thank you, uh, for listening and, uh, please come back, come back, come back to, uh, Jokerman podcast. Would, would you say Jokerman, Brian? Uh, if that's what it's called. Yeah. Jokerman. Jokerman dance to the nightingale tune. Birds yeah. fly high by the light of the moon. Wow, you sound like uh, you're in the old country. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Jokerman. <laughs>